I want to say thank you again to everyone who served yesterday at uh, CityServe. I know it was a hot day, especially those that were there cooking the burgers and things like that or pulling weeds. So extremely, extremely grateful for all of your time and energy and effort you put into that. It's great to be able to connect with those four local schools and to be serving alongside them and, and caring for them. Uh, but there's so much going on here at West Cabarrus as we do this kind of fall kickoff. A lot that we want to be grateful for and just express gratitude for. Uh, I know it's not just yesterday that people serve our kids and our next generation, but this is something that happens week in and week out in a number of different places. And so I'm excited that this Sunday is our promotion Sunday or move up Sunday for our kids ministry area. And those that serve week in and week out in our kids ministry just want to express just how grateful we are for every week, not just one Saturday, not just for a couple hours, but every week you're getting together and you're serving uh, the next generation of kids here at West Cabarrus Church. And I would just say, if you have kids, if you see anybody that has a, a West Cabarrus Kids or WC Kids shirt on this morning, they serve in our kids ministry area. So just, if you see them before or afterwards, please just express gratitude that they're caring for your kids week in and week out. And uh, also grateful for our, our students starting back, uh, their big push for collision and things like that going on in our student ministry is happening tonight. And thankful for all the volunteers and the small groups and, and all these different ways that make that ministry happen because they're reaching out to our local, local campuses and it's great to see our students thriving as well. And even outside of our church, we're just grateful for those that are pouring into the next generation and that are uh, educators and, and loving and praying for these kids, being a light in those places. And so I would just want to take just a second, if you are an administrator at a local school, if you're a teacher, an assistant, anything like that, would you please just stand for a second? And, and let me say, as they're standing, if you are, yeah. And y'all keep standing just for a second, because we're going to do one more clap. There's one more group of people that I just want to make sure gets included in this. If you homeschool, you're the primary educator of your kids at home, would you please stand? Because you sacrifice and serve point in the next generation as well. So for y'all, yes, thank you guys. Awesome. All right, I'm also excited about our small groups that start this coming week. Our small groups are very integral to who we are as a church because we believe wholeheartedly that the, the most life change you're going to experience doesn't happen in rows, but it happens in circles as you do life together. And so our small groups are kicking back off from our summer hiatus, our summer break. And we actually, after service, have these tables that you've seen around our building uh, right here that you can go and you can find out more information about the different small groups. Each table is a different small group or has two small groups on it. So you can kind of hear and know and find out what fits your schedule and how you can be a part and start this week. And this is a great week for you to be connected in small groups. And the reason being is because you get some bonus content this week. Normally what we do for small groups is we just talk about the passage that we read and kind of expounded on Sunday morning so that we can take it deeper and apply it to our lives and be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And that's what our small groups do week in and week out. But they're actually doing a different passage than we're going to cover in our, our time today. They're actually going to look at Psalm 119. Now the reason why they're doing it a little bit different is there are two passages that I pray over our church family each week as we gather together for Sunday morning. And the message today is actually entitled Praying for Sunday. It's the last part of our series, Praying the Bible, as we've been looking through different prayers and different passages in the Bible and how God would lead us to, to pray according to his word. Now, 
Psalm 119 is not what you see on the screen now. We're actually going to be in Mark 4. You'll need your Bible. You want to find your way to Mark 4 because we're going to be spending our time in Mark 4. But this coming up week in our small groups, we're doing Psalm 119 because these are the two passages along with several others that I pray for you and for me every single week. Psalm 119, we're not going to cover the entirety of that in our small groups because it's a lot of verses, but each section I take and pray for our church family every week that we would love God's word, that we'd treasure it, that we'd hide it in our hearts, that we'd live it out. So the discussion you're going to have in small groups this week is how to look at Psalm 119 and to use that as a guide for praying for Sunday. Every single Saturday night, using that as a prayer guide. And when we look here at Mark 4 this morning, this is the other passage that I pray for us. And Mark 4, if you've already found it, is not a, it's not a prayer of Jesus. It's actually a parable But I believe that through this parable, it will guide our prayer life as we think about how to pray for our Sundays, how to pray for our Sundays. So you follow along with me as I read in Mark chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 1, and this is what it says. Again, he began to teach. That's Jesus. He began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into the boat and he sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside him on the sea, on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he had sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came down and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where did not have much soil, and it immediately sprang up. And since it had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell on the good soil, and it produced grain growing up, increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears... To hear, let him hear. Now Mark, the author of this book of the Bible, is going to actually hit the fast forward button. There's a gap of time between verse 9 and verse 10. And later on that evening, a group of the, the, the people in the crowd, as well as the disciples, come to Jesus. And they say this in verse 10. And when he was alone, that's Jesus, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones among the path where the word is sown. They hear it, and Satan immediately comes and takes it away. And the word that is sown in them is gone. And these are the ones who are sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others who are the ones sown among the thorns, they're the ones that hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in, and they choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, 
and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This is the word of God. Let's pause and pray to him now. Lord, as we use even Psalm 119 now to guide us in our prayer for our time today, we ask that you would teach us your way, O Lord, and that we may keep it to the end. Give us understanding that we may keep your law and observe it with our whole heart. Lead us in the path of your commandments, for we delight in them. Incline your heart, recline our heart towards your testimonies and not towards selfish gain. Lord, we pray and we ask that you would turn our eyes away from looking at worthless things and that this morning you would give us life according to your ways. Now let me invite you in this room of silence from your heart, would you just pray to God and ask him something similar? No matter where you are in your faith journey, whether you've trusted Christ years ago or you've never believed in him, would you just pray now that God would allow you to hear his word and respond to it today? Would you pray that right now? Lord Jesus, would you hear our prayers? Because we long for your word. And in your righteousness, Lord, would you give us life. It's to the glory of your name we ask this. Amen. All right, since we aren't going through the, the, the entire book of Mark and reading verse by verse like we will be coming up next week when we jump in the book of First Peter, I want to kind of set the, the stage for us, really kind of get us to put ourselves in this time of history when Jesus is teaching this parable. I want us to understand and just picture yourself in the crowd. See, some of the, the crowd, the very large crowd that together, they had probably come to see Jesus do like amazing miracles. Or they had got, brought uh, a family member, grandma or grandpa or somebody that, that needed healing, maybe their child. And so they're hoping to see miracles from Jesus and all these amazing things. And what they find is that Jesus is teaching in parables. Now, parable is an interesting word. We don't use it today. Uh, it's kind of like an illustration. And parable literally means to throw alongside. That's what the word is literally translated. So you have a truth right here that you're trying to explain, and then you throw an illustration alongside of the truth so that people get it, so they understand the truth through the illustration. It's what we do pretty often here on a Sunday morning. But it's not what Jesus did here. <laughs> He told this parable, and he gives this story, the illustration, and then he never tells the truth with it, like the, the correspondence of what it's trying to connect with, right? He tells them this story, tells them this illustration, and then just leaves it for them to digest and figure out. He doesn't connect it for them. I mean, imagine you're in the crowd. Imagine Jesus sits down on the boat, and he's speaking, and he tells the story of a farmer who threw out seed. And some of the seed fell on the path, fell on the road, some fell right beside the road, some fell in the weeds over here, and then some fell over here on the good soil where it grew up and there was a harvest. And then that's it. Jesus tells that story, and he basically looks at the disciples, and he's like, all right, boys, let's wrap it up. It's time to go. No explanation. Could you imagine if that happened here on a Sunday morning? What if you came in here today, maybe a friend invited you, it's your first time here, and if it is, welcome, we're glad that you're here. 
Maybe if you're here, if I said that, what would you think? You came in here and I just said, hey, there's a farmer. He threw seeds, some landed on the road. There was a harvest that happened. Sickle came, end of story. Have a great Sunday afternoon. You know, hope, hope you all enjoyed that. That's weird, right? What is going on with this? And right here, after Jesus tells this parable, in verse 10, there's this fast forward, like I mentioned, where they, they come to Jesus, this group of people, and they're like, what was that? What was that? They were looking for miracles. They were looking for like more of the Sermon on the Mount, where you're like given the theological truths and the practical applications. You just told a story and then walked off? Like, what was that? And Jesus responds and quotes the Old Testament. He quotes the book of Isaiah in chapter 6, verse 9. And it's interesting here because what Jesus is doing in verse 12 is extremely important. Don't miss it. What Jesus is doing after he's told this parable is he's saying, hey, you know what, guys? There is an in crowd and there's an out crowd. There are people that have heard me teach and have received forgiveness, and then there's a whole other group of people that are out crowd that don't understand anything, which would lead the people at this time and should lead us today to be scratching our heads to be like, well, who's in and who's out? I mean, that's a very important question to answer, right? Jesus is teaching, and he even tells them multiple times, listen up, listen up, pay attention to the story I'm about to tell. And then he says, if you have ears, then hear what I'm saying. He, he's, he's calling for us to hear and to respond. Now, some people have taken this and said, well, okay, if Jesus said this, then we know the in-crowd people, those that really get it are the ones that understand the parable. People that are standing to the side and they're like, mm, mm, Jesus, like, that was good. Man, like, the story and how there's, like, seed and that's, like, the word of God, oh man, and how, how the person preaching, that's the person like sowing this, this, this word of God, oh that is so good, thank you Jesus, that was incredible. That's not what you find. No, what you find are, everybody's confused. Everybody's scratching their head. Everybody's wondering what's going on here. The disciples, they don't understand. They don't get it. They're there with the crowd going, Jesus, what was that? because I don't understand it either. Can you, like, help me? And Jesus looks at these people that come to him to seek understanding, and he says to them, to you has been given the gift to understand the kingdom of God. The difference between the in crowd and the out crowd is not the one who understands everything as soon as they hear it. It's the one who under or hears it and struggles to understand and is willing to come to Christ and say, Jesus, like I hear about your miracles, I hear your teaching, I, I hear that you're saying you can forgive sins, but like that doesn't make sense to me. Would you help me understand that? Would you help me? And that's exactly what Jesus does. He pauses and he helps them understand the truths about the parable. He helps them understand what it means to be forgiven and what he's trying to teach you see, there's two groups of people in this passage, and there's two, two groups of people here today. Those who will hear the word of God and say, I want to think on that. There's a lot I don't understand. There's a lot I need to process and apply to my life. And so I hear it, I don't fully understand it, but this week I'm going to think on it and pray about it and allow it to impact my life. And there's another group of people, just like the crowd at this time, where they're going to hear the word of God and they're going to be like, what? 
Like no miracles, no amazing things. You didn't, Jesus, you didn't give me everything I wanted in my life. I'm out. I didn't come for the, the life change. I came for you to give me everything I want, so I'm out. And what we read in here in, these passages, in this passage are these four soils that Jesus is going to talk about. Every single one of us fit into one of these categories every single Sunday. You see, this might not be a prayer of Jesus, but this parable should teach us how to pray for our own hearts and for our families and for others that are a part of Wescovere's church because every single one of us are going to fall into one of these four soils as we hear the word of God proclaimed today. And so I want to give you three prayer points for you from this passage to help guide your prayer life so you can pray according to the Bible. That as you see the realities of this passage, it would guide the realities of your prayer life. And so the first way to pray is to pray against the enemy. Pray against the enemy. The first soil that Jesus mentions here in this parable is the one that's sown on the path or the road. And just for clarity's sake, he wanted to make sure his disciples weren't confused. He wants to make sure we're not confused. And so in verse 14, he's like, hey guys, the sower in this illustration, this is the person that's sharing the word of God. So that could be from a stage. That could be from you sharing the word with a, a coworker or a family member. That is sowing the seed. Now, what's the seed? Jesus says it's the word of God, the truth of his word, the gospel that we believe in and that we cling to. And that's what the sower is, the person proclaiming the word of God. The seed is the word of God that's being thrown out there. And then he says that the, the birds that are coming down to snatch up the, the seed that's on that, that, that pavement, on that road, he says, to give clarity to that in verse 15, he says that is Satan who comes to take away the word. And I just want you to know, we as a church believe, yes, there is a real Satan, that there's a real devil, that there's a real enemy, that there's a real heaven and a hell, and we believe that because that's what God's word teaches and tells us to be true. And so, yes, when we read this, and I'm saying, hey, pray against the enemy, we're praying against a real enemy, not somebody in blue leotards out there in Durham, North Carolina, okay? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that there's a real enemy that wants to steal and to kill and destroy your life. He does. That's his MO. That's what he wants to do. And right here, he's saying that he comes and he snatches the word away from you. And so the, the sower's going to proclaim the word, and, and Satan's going to come in and take that word from you. Now, there's, there's two ways that you can take something from someone else, right? You can take by force, right? You can come with like a destructive hand and take it away from them, or you can come through seduction. I believe many times that's how Satan works, through seduction, where you hear the word of God, you hear it with your ears, right? But it's snatched away because a temptation is placed before you. A temptation that Satan wants you to believe that there's something better, that there's something that's going to satisfy you more than God will satisfy you. And you'll start to believe that temptation. You'll start to believe that lie. And when you do that, it starts to snatch away the word from your heart and your life. And the way I know that Satan works like that is because that's what's even happened in my life. I can think back to when I was in high school. 
sitting in a room very similar to this, hearing the Word of God spoken, and in my mind at that time, I'm thinking about the sin that I'm going to do this coming up afternoon or that week. My mind is being tempted to do all these other things that I've seen at school, and my baseball buddies are telling me, you need to do this, you need to do that. And as the Word in church is being proclaimed, my mind is being robbed and stolen out of. I remember it vividly vividly. Not that I heard Satan whisper in my ear or I felt Satan on my shoulder talking to me. Nothing like that. It was just that temptation, that seduction to not listen and respond to the Word of God, but instead to to listen and through that seduction just let go of that truth and let it drop as you come over here and cling to the very thing that will shrink your soul, that will harden your heart. And there's a real enemy that we should be praying against right now. Saturday night, you should be praying over your family. God, would you protect my family from allowing the word to be snatched from their heart? You should be praying for your spouse, praying for other people here at West Cabarrus Church. God, would you protect us from the enemy that desires to snatch the word out of our lives and to seduce us and to keep us from being faithful to your word, the word that brings us life. Now, if you're here today and you think, that is me without a shadow of a doubt. That is me wholeheartedly. That like, that's what's happening in my mind right now. But I don't want to be that way. Like, I don't want to live in this thing that continues to not satisfy me. How do I get out of that, right? Like, how do I get out of this seed being stolen or the word of God being stolen out of my heart? Well, anytime that you, you have an area where you want seed to grow... It has to have the right soil, right? And currently, this soil has pavement there. It's on a a path. And the only way that you're going to get anything to grow on that path is to remove that pavement, to remove that rock so that you can plant seeds. What you need to be doing right now is praying that God will remove your hard heart. The Bible tells us that we have a heart of stone before he gives us a heart of flesh. And we pray, God, I feel that temptation. It's coming for me. Lord, I need you to replace this heart that that longs for the darkness and give me a heart that loves the light. Would you give me a heart that delights in your word as I hear it to receive it like a a well-made meal? Oh, that I would do that. And what God promises he'll do in his word is he'll take your heart of stone and he'll take it out and he'll put a heart of flesh in there. So when you hear that word, it'll be receiving the word and responding to the word. Oh, that we would pray against the enemy, that we pray against the evil one. This morning, this morning, when we listen to God's word and pray to him, pray that he would till up your soul, not your soil, your soul, so that you would have life in his word, and his word would grow deep in you. So pray against the enemy. Second, let's pray against distractions. Pray against distractions. In verses 16 through 19, what Jesus is teaching there is that there are distractions that keep God's word from going deep into our heart and changing our lives. And he mentions two, and I'll just use these two words as I explain them here. The two words that Jesus talks about in here are pain and pleasure. Pain and pleasure are going to be the things that rob your life of the Word of God. These are distractions. 
Distractions from keeping you from living this out. And I wholeheartedly believe that distraction has likely sent more people to hell than doubt has. That distractions in our life have kept us from trusting in Christ and believing in him and following him faithfully. You've heard it said before, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? We have good intentions, but these distractions come into our life and we never bear fruit for the Lord. We're never truly coming to him saying, God, help me to understand this and explain this to me because I want to live it out. I want to bear fruit for you. And so the first or the second soil that Jesus talks about is the one found on the rocky ground. Now, this isn't on the path, right? This is kind of right beside the path where there's some rocks and some rubble that have been there. And he calls it rocky ground. And then he goes on to describe in verse 16 and verse 17 who these people are. And listen up, these are going to be people just like you and me in this room. It says that the, the word is sown, they hear the word, and they respond with joy. They're excited about it, like, man, that was good. And how often have you left church and you've, or you've read a passage in God's word, and you're like, man, that was good. But then trouble or tribulation comes into your life, and you completely forget about any of the joy that you had before. It even says that, there's persecution that comes on account of the word, and they fall away, or they stumble, your Bible might say. You see, there, there are so many people that believe in the goodness of God. They say they believe in the, the power of God, in the wisdom of God, and yet when trouble comes in, real trouble, they start to doubt. We start to doubt. Is God really that wise? Man, I... I don't know if I, I want to believe this. Is God really that powerful? Is God really that good? Is he the place that I should fortify my life in? And the suffering and the pain becomes a distraction to us where we start focusing on the one who is good and is perfect and is right. And we start to solely look at the pain and suffering in our life. And we just say, I don't know if it's worth it. You see... There is going to be pain and suffering in our life, even if you trust in Christ. Even if you believe in him, he promised it to be true. We might cling to a lot of promises of Jesus, but this isn't one that we want to memorize. We should memorize it. We might not want to memorize it. But Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. He promised it. He didn't say, in this world, you might have trouble. You may have trouble. You will have trouble. And then attached to that, he said, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. Jesus does not promise to take us out of the pain that we'll have in this life, but to promise us eternal life. For one day, he will look at this broken, marred world, and he will make it right. And that's where our hope rests, right? Amen? And so we know that we're going to have pain and suffering. Do not let the pain and suffering of life pull you back from loving and following God. Loving and following God's word. Even in his word, he promises that he is near to the brokenhearted. He's near to the brokenhearted. So for, so for some of you that have gone through troubles and tribulation, and you still feel that pain even now, God is near to you. Would you cling to that truth? Would you cling to that passage and believe that God is near instead of running away from him? For those of us who who have been persecuted for sharing the good news, for being the sower, sowing the seed, would you take heart that God said that that was going to happen, but that he would never leave you or forsake you? Even when you feel like you've been left or forsaken by your friends or your coworkers, that God is near. 
don't let the distraction of pain pull you away from hearing and rightly responding to God's word. The third soil that he's going to talk about in here is the distraction of pleasure. See, you got pain that can pull you away from fulfilling God's word. You also have pleasure. You find this one in the soil that has got thorns in it and weeds in it. And what's interesting is they have roots. There, there are roots there. They stick around for a little bit. But as they start to spring up, these thorns come in and they make it hard for them to bear fruit. They don't run away like the previous group. They've committed their lives to Christ, but there's a division of their heart. They want to worship Christ along with other things. And there's just this massive division in their life because of pleasure. And Jesus, in verse 19, is going to tell them what those pleasures are, what those distractions are. And he says, it's the cares of the world. If you are wanting to know how to pray the Bible, this is what I'm trying to show you. That you would look at this and say, man, i got to pray against this for myself. That the cares of the world wouldn't choke out God's word. This is what I need to be praying for my family That the cares of the world wouldn't choke out the truth and the reality of who God is in their life. You see, the cares of the world, this can very practically be your to-do list. You have a to-do list that you've got down, you've just got to finish it. And you add one thing after the next thing. I mean, some of you right now maybe have a to-do list that you've already pulled out your phone. You're like, oh yeah, I've got to get this on uh, the grocery list, right? (laughs) Oh yeah, we've got to go do this later on tonight. I can't forget that. And you're making your to-do list. And there's nothing wrong with with to-do lists. I love them. I'm the kind of guy that will do something, and then I'll write it down on the to-do list, and then mark it out, okay? That's just who I am, all right? So there's nothing wrong with to-do list. But those can lead to us thinking about the cares of the world more than the cares of Christ. More than thinking, God, what do you desire for me to do today? We can also get lost by the cares of the world with things like our kids or our grandkids, God's word is clear that these are a gift from God. But do you realize that that is from God? That the way we love our kids and the way that we care for our kids is to make them look to him and to love him? God ultimately didn't give you kids in order for you to to make sports stars out of them. I hope all of your kids become sports stars. That's great. But that's not the primary role that God has given you as you parent your kids or your grandkids. And you can let all these distractions of life pull you away from what God is calling you to do. And you can go become so focused on family that you miss the family of God. This is what it looks like for thorns to come up in your life and to choke out the word of God. For some of us, younger generation, you know what distracts you most? The pleasure that distracts you most from hearing God's word and responding to it? Social media. Social media, where you've got to have that next like, you've got to have your friends respond to your post, you've got to see what everybody else is doing, and so you look back at the end of the day and you spent hours of time scrolling instead of thinking on God's word and praying to him and praying for the things that you see. Oh, don't, do not ever let your identity be found in your likes, but knowing that God loves you. That God loves you. Once again, Not that social media is is completely bad in itself. There are some good things that come out of that. But this can be a distraction, a pleasure in our life that pulls us away from responding to the word of God. 
Jesus also says in verse 22 that another pleasure that can come in your life is the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. Notice Jesus doesn't say that it's the pleasure of riches in verse 19. No, he says it's the deceitfulness of riches. See, we'll run after and we'll chase riches, and then we'll turn around and realize that we've left the Lord. And he calls it the deceitfulness of riches because it never satisfies. It's never enough. And those of you that have lived enough life, just pause and think about it because you know it to be true. Some of the things that you thought 10 years ago would satisfy you, that house, that car, that promotion, whatever it might be, you thought 10 years ago, if I just have this, I have this amount of riches and this amount of stuff, then I'll be satisfied. And here you are 10 years later, and you're just as dissatisfied as you were 10 years ago, right? You see the faulty logic that we, we do? Well, if I just get one more thing, that'll be satisfied. But the thing that we're chasing doesn't satisfy. It doesn't matter how much we get. It doesn't have the properties that satisfy our soul and our hearts. So Jesus is telling them, watch out for the deceitfulness of riches. They won't satisfy you. Now, some of us, I think, that, that end up in this category of the thorns of this life choking us out, we say, to justify it, I can do both. I can have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of heaven, right? I can ride the fence and I can do both. I know nobody else in the history of the world can do it, but I can do it. I know Jesus said that you can't serve two masters, but I'm different. I can do that. And so we ride the fence, Do you know what happens if you literally ride a fence? It will split you in two. You can't do it. And yet, some of us, that's what we try to do. We try to convince ourselves that we can do both things. When Christ has already told us you can't, and specifically he says you can't love money and love God. There's only one that's worthy of all of our love. And it's not this deceitful riches. It's the Lord who loves us. It's the Lord who loves us. Some of you that are businessmen or avid readers know who Jim Collins is, a super smart guy, graduated from the business school in, in Stanford, and he wrote a book, his most famous book, he wrote several books, it's called Good to Great, Good to Great, and he looks at Fortune 500 companies and how they thrived and how they made all their money and how they became a Fortune 500 company, and his whole argument is in the title, so many companies, they stop at good. See, the greatest enemy is not is not bad or poor things, it's the good thing. Because the good thing keeps you from getting to the great thing. So all these other companies stop at the good and they're like, it's sufficient. It's good enough. And he says, how do we get from good to great? How do we look at the things that we're stopping on that are mediocre and saying, how do I get to something that's better? What's fascinating, Jim Collins is not a believer that I'm aware of, but he, he says this in his book. He says this, you'll see it on the screen. He says, the good is enemy of great is not just a business problem. It is a human problem. This businessman is looking at our culture in America, and he's saying this whole thing of choosing the the middle instead of what is the best is not a business problem. Ultimately, it's a human problem. And that's what Jesus is trying to get you and I to see here. Although we would pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with the crumbs, but we would eat the feast that's on the table. 
Jesus is wanting us to see that we shouldn't be satisfied with being choked out by the cares of the world and chasing the deceitfulness of riches, but there's something greater and there's something better out there that's being offered. Jesus isn't slapping our hand away saying, well, you can't have anything good. No, Jesus has something better and he's extending that to us, that we would enjoy that and bear fruit for that. And so once again, if you're here and you're thinking, man, I'm absolutely one of these two soils. I have been distracted from the Word of God. I haven't been living it out because of pain in my life or, and suffering or because of just pleasures and the day-to-day pleasures of life. Like, I'm just not following Christ. Then let me just encourage you to remember who you are. Or more specifically in this passage, what you are. You see, we are the soil. We're the soil. It's not the soil's job to move thorns and weeds out of the soil. There's no amount of strength or energy that a soil can put forth to say, I'm going to move this rock away. Whose job is it to pull the weeds and to remove the thorns and to move the stones? It's the gardener. It's the gardener's job to do that. We don't have time this morning, but if you go to John chapter 15, Jesus says that God is the gardener, that he's the gardener. And so my, my, my plea to you today is not to pray, God, would you just make me stronger so that I can do better and I can pull these thorns out of my life and I can pull these rocks out of my life. That's not the point of this passage. Jesus is the one. He is the God who will remove those thorns and pull out those rocks in your life. He will do it for you. All you have to do is come before him and pray. Pray. I mean, think about this. If you're God above and you hear that prayer, God, would you remove these these thorns in my life of distraction and these, these rocks of pain, would you remove that stuff that's distracting me from you? What do you think Jesus would say to that? How do you think a God that that loves you so much would respond to that kind of prayer. He would say, of course I will. I'll, I'll remove those thorns from your life. I've already borne the thorns of your sin on my brow as I went to the cross for you. And you got rocks of sin and shame in your life. I, I can remove those. I've already borne this, the stone that they buried me under. As I died on the cross and went into the tomb and they rolled the stone over the grave. Jesus, in his goodness, is saying that I can do those things. I can remove those soils, all those those things that contaminate the soil. So that you can be a good soil. So let's look at this and think about that reality and pray. Pray, God, would you remove distractions from my life so I can rightly respond to your word. And lastly, the last thing, the third thing to pray for, let's pray for deep roots and faithful fruit. Let's pray for deep roots and faithful fruit. In verse 20, this last soil is the kind of pinnacle of the passage. It emphasizes the glorious character of the harvest. Jesus says it's going to bear 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Like that was unheard of at that time. At that time, the average, what you would reap would be about 3 or, or 7% if it was a good return. And Jesus is saying, it's not 3, it's not 7, it's 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And people right there have been like, I want that. Like 100% investment, 100% return on my investment? Yes, sign me up for that. And that's what should be happening in our hearts today. 
that we hear the good news of Jesus and we're like, yes, I want that. Like, sign me up for that good thing. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do, that we would pray, God, as you place your word in my heart, maybe you have deep roots in you. And as you do that, would you help me bear faithful fruit for you? That's the point of this passage. We should be all saying, man, which, which soil am I? No, 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 no. We should be saying, I want to be that soil. I want to be the soil that it says, hears the word and accepts it and bears fruit. That should be our prayer and our desire. But what I've found is too often we read passages like this, and you know what it does? It makes us fruit inspectors. It makes us fruit inspectors where we look at other people's lives. Maybe you're even thinking about that right now. This could be a distraction for you instead of receiving and responding to God's word. You're thinking, man, you know what? My aunt, she is definitely soil number two. <laughs> Hands down. My husband, man, he's, he's soil three. I know it without a shadow of a doubt. This passage is not calling for you and I to be fruit inspectors. And the reason why is because you and I would probably get it wrong. You want to prove it? Think about the, the day before Christ goes to the cross. We would look at Judas that betrayed Jesus, and we'd look at Peter who denied Jesus, and we'd be like, neither one of them are the good soil. Neither one of them. They're out. Let's go ahead and move them. If we looked at the fruit of their life at that time, we'd say they're both out, and we would be wrong. We'd be wrong. Peter repented and turned to Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. This should be a challenge for us to examine our own hearts and our own lives. Saying, God, where am I? Which soil is my heart? And then pray. Pray that God would allow you to be good soil. And that you would be a faithful sower of that good word to others. All that you would pray. That you'd pray to that end. Pray with me now. Lord, again, you are the gardener. You're the one who can pull out the rocks. You're the one who can remove the thorns. And so, Lord, we, we listen just like you told us to. You called us in this passage to listen. If we have ears here, we listen. We hear. Lord, we want to obey. And so, Lord, we give ourselves faithfully to you now. And we ask, God, that you would help us to bear that fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Both inwardly, God, how you sanctify and change us, but Lord, also outwardly as we faithfully share the word with others, as we faithfully sow the seed. Father, would you help us? Lord, we confess that apart from you, we can do nothing. So hear our prayers as we pray for Sunday mornings. Lord, hear our prayers as we pray for our family, as we pray for our church family. Lord, would you hear our prayers even now as some pray, asking for you to forgive them. Asking you to be the Lord of their life. God, would you hear those prayers now and be faithful to answer for our good, but for your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Church family, let's stand now and let's sing to the one who's worthy of it.